Heads up. In this episode, John and Smashing gush over bat butts, bobbleheads, and gorilla perms. It's ice to see you on Here's Why It's Great. Welcome to Here's Why It's Great, the podcast where we take what you hate and tell you why it's great. I'm your host, John Bring. And I'm Sebastian Kadlicic. And when we started this podcast, we knew we were going to have certain mountains we had to climb. And this one is the Kilimanjaro. We're talking about Batman and Robin. The movie. The movie. Not the characters. Not the famous characters created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. We're talking about the 1997 Joel Schumacher film. What do you think about it, Sebastian? Dang, that was 1997? Yeah, some, man. For some reason, I, th- I feel like I was younger at that point, but maybe it's just because the movie is such a cartoon. I It's also maybe because I just tried to block this one out of my brain as much as possible. Oh, don't say that. It's a fine film. It's definitely it's something a, that was made. It's a fun film. It's I, a great film. I feel like the... I don't, I don't know if I'd say it's a great film. I would not say that. But I think that... Had they decided to go with this movie as just, like, a musical or a cartoon, it would be great fun. Like, like in watching it, I felt like I was watching a, like, children's theater brought to film. Okay, which, okay. Which, and that's fair. Which, had they done that, which had they just been like, oh, you know what, this is actually separate from the other Batman movies. This is just one that we're aiming towards children, specifically 10 and under. And we're going to just do this wacky um, children's theater version of Batman. I feel like so much of it would have worked. But trying to bring like the coolness of 1989 Batman and the a lot of the style of the Gotham City. like I just feel like those were two things they tried to make work together that did not. Okay, well... Before we jump into it, uh, let's do a little background on this film. Okay. So, obviously, this is coming off of the previous Batman films, starting with 1989's Batman, continuing on to 1992's uh, Batman Returns, on to Batman Forever, which is Joel Schumacher's first Batman film, and a film I rather enjoy. I think, yeah, Batman Forever is, I think, an entry into that that franchise where they did take it a little bit campier and a little bit more kind of lighthearted and fun, but it still worked. But it worked. It yeah. worked. It still had an like an inherent innate darkness that I think worked on it. Uh, and I, when that movie came out, I lost my shit for it. I loved every minute of that movie. It was awesome. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that one for a while. Um, I always laugh because I have this photo of my little brother in a Batman forever hat um, and he still holds on to that Batman Forever love. I actually do like that movie. I mean, yeah. the, the first and second one, Batman and Batman Returns, were my favorites of the franchise, but Batman Forever, I was like, oh, okay, this is still a cool... Like, Val Kilmer was great. Like, there was just so much stuff that I thought really, really, really worked in that movie, and I that's not one where it's like, oh, as soon as Joel Schumacher took over, no, no, the whole no. thing got, went to crap. Like, I really do like that movie. I mean, Joel Schumacher is a good director. There's no denying that. He's got other good movies that he's made, and I think the Batman Forever definitely took it in a different direction, but man, it, it like I said, it worked. I think Val Kilmer, for my money, is one of the best Batman. Uh, he actually plays the balance between Batman and Bruce Wayne better than I think anybody, because Michael 
Keaton far and away as the greatest Batman, mm-hmm. uh, despite his diminutive stature, uh, is still one of the best Batman out there. But I never really truly bought him as Bruce Wayne. I never bought him. He's just not the look of the billionaire playboy, um, which George Clooney in this movie definitely does. And Val Kilmer, I thought, did really well. He's a pretty boy, and that yeah. worked. And he also worked as Batman, and, and Val Kilmer always had like a darkness about him that I really liked, which is why it's unfortunate that he dipped out for this movie. I agree. Um, apparently, he and, and, uh, and apparently he and Schumacher did not get along on set. So when... Yeah. when Kilmer decided he wanted to go do The Saint instead of doing the sequel to Batman Forever. Schumacher was more than happy to oblige him. Oh, I didn't realize that. But I, I'm, I'm, I still, Michael Keaton is probably my favorite um, Batman slash oh, for Bruce sure. Wayne. And I yeah. feel like in the first, uh, not to go too far into this, but I feel like in the first couple Batman movies, Bruce Wayne was portrayed less as a like millionaire or billionaire playboy and more this sort of... Um, eccentric or this sort of yeah um, more like a howard hughes type like yeah. just a with a real dark core yeah and just sort of an odd you know millionaire that's that's more into solitude and stuff than into uh you know the, tons of gorgeous the flashy and all yeah, that stuff. yeah the flashy lifestyle but in the but in batman forever i feel like they absolutely went that billionaire playboy and i completely buy that from val kilmer i think he's a particularly at that time he was a incredibly dashing fellow and i think bob kane also at the time was like oh this is what i thought of when i thought of bruce wayne like mm-hmm. that's how he well you know however much credit you want to give bob kane but like it, at least he thought like that was a good yeah depiction of himself right. as bruce wayne right 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 and kilmer had the stature he was a bigger guy than keaton was uh, he definitely had the look. He was very handsome, even though he was blonde, uh, yeah. which always kind of bugged me. But I guess I got over that pretty quick. And most of the movie is so dark visually that you don't even really notice the blonde hair most He's of the time. It's a dirty blonde. It is a dirty blonde, but still, it's kind of like when Craig, uh, Daniel Craig, came on to be James Bond and everybody flipped their shit because he was blonde. And oh yeah. God, Bond can't be blonde. Uh, not the case, obviously. Obviously, he's an, one of the best Bonds, aside yes. from maybe Connery. But Kilmer like I said, uh, decided to dip out on this movie. Um, it was coming off the huge success that was Batman Forever. I think not only just a, a box office success and a success in terms of critical and fan uh, support, because I think people generally really liked the direction this took, um, but obviously it sold a lot of toys, which I yeah. think really affected what became of the next movie where Schumacher who was brought in to replace Tim Burton as, as a director, I think who was willing to play ball with the studio more than Burton was because Burton famously made Batman returns so dark that they felt awkward selling, uh, happy meals uh, (laughs) from this movie. So they needed somebody to come in and be that guy. That would be a sort of a yes man for the studio, but still give it some visual flair and come and direct the things with some panache and, you know, I think that Schumacher really did that well in Forever, and and for what it's worth, I think he came to Batman and Robin wanting to just make it bigger, bolder, louder, brasher, and I think he did that. It was all those things. Yes, indeed. For worse, it was all those things. I know you think that. Um, so, you know, obviously the story of Batman and Robin, everybody knows that this movie came out. It was the summer of 97. For me personally, this was a summer where I learned that movies could be bad. <laughs> and, you know, 
<laughs> and, and this movie, I will be honest, was one of those movies that I sat down in the theater and was immediately taken aback by the fact that this movie I had highly anticipated was utter crap. Yeah. And the other movies being Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which is a, a real train wreck, and Alien Resurrection, which has some cool stuff, but... Um, and also, some might say Lost World Jurassic Park. However, I adore that movie as well. I will give Batman and Robin this, that I do think it is better than Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> well, and that's why it's great. Thanks yeah. for listening. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, so, so, yeah, I discovered that year that uh, these movies, even if I anticipated them, even if they came from these big franchises that I loved, I mean, shit, I saw Mortal Kombat, the first one, twice in the same day. And I actually paid for two tickets. Wow. My mom dropped me off with my cousin. And we went and saw it once and missed maybe the first 10 minutes of the movie and loved it so much, I called my mom on a payphone because that's when <laughs> the time was, and said, Mom, don't bother coming. We're going to see it again. We walked out of – instead, of, we could have just walked back into the theater and sat down and none, nobody would have been the wiser. We walked out of the theater, bought two more tickets, and then walked back in. You were like, this movie deserves, deserves my money. my extra $5 <laughs> of matinee ticket price. And so I loved Mortal Kombat, so I was super stoked about Annihilation, very disappointed in that. I was not like the biggest Alien franchise uh, franchise lover, but I had loved Alien 3 and especially Aliens growing up. I had At that point, I hadn't really uh, been too privy to the very first Alien movie, but um, I love those movies. was probably more our like, generation's yeah. uh, movie. Uh, but I had watched like the HBO making of special for resurrection a hundred times and was super stoked about that. Also a, a huge mess of a movie, except for Sigourney Weaver landing that one, like cross the court shot backwards. <laughs> that shit is awesome. And that is proof that Sigourney Weaver is truly a demigod, a d- demigoddess among us. Because do you remember that shot? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. fucking amazing. It's great. I was great. just trying to remember, um, what's his name that's in that? That's in that movie. Ron Perlman? Ron, Ron Perlman, yeah. I blanked on his name. But yeah, I, I had forgotten that he was in that movie until you mentioned that, oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. scene. So is uh, Brad Dourif. He's in that movie uh, briefly as a scientist. So is, I believe, Tony Shalhoub might be in that oh. movie. <laughs> like, or, or the guy who looks exactly like Tony Shalhoub, who is not Tony Shalhoub. Um, but they're is like, it Tony Shalhoub? Now I, I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, I don't think it's actually him. But it's a guy that looks a whole lot like him. And he gets his brains eaten by an alien. Spoiler. And also that fucking creepy ass alien from the ending. You remember oh, yeah. that thing, that like human alien hybrid? Yeah. I mean that that movie, kind of like Batman and Robin, has like a lot of really interesting ideas and really neat stuff. Wait, that's the thing that gets sucked out, right? Yeah, it gets yeah. sucked out, which is awesome it's and like- horrifying. <laughs> yeah, and it's like in its face as it's looking at its mother, like totally like betrayed, is heartbreaking to this day. That thing still freaks me out. Yeah, it still freaks me out. That one is super extra freaky because it is sort of human-ish looking. Yeah, yeah the eyes. Um, and it just... I mean, there's a similar creature that ends up showing up in Xena, but the that sort of like human-ish look to it, like you really feel for it. It's not just yeah. a monster. Yeah, you finally have empathy for one of these things, and yeah, it's pretty fucked up death is so gruesome yeah it's very gruesome and like drawn out and it's it's that part of the movie is excellent however the rest of it (laughs) preceding that part is pretty pretty rough uh but this came out in 1997 in june and was the lowest grossing batman film uh i would say theatrically but technically the batman the killing joke the cartoon and batman mask of the phantasm uh are both lower grossing but i'm gonna say this is the lowest grossing 
live, live action, action Batman movie. film at uh, on a budget of 125 million, 25 million of which went to Arnold Schwarzenegger. It only made 107 domestically and only 238 globally, which is kind of crazy to think about that a Batman movie only made 238 million dollars globally. Yeah. The 238 yeah, yeah, million dollars. Uh yeah. it's nuts because I mean that was before the global market exploded. So when I saw the, those figures, I was like, "Holy shit, times have changed." Did all of the did all of the live action Batman movies come out in June? Cuz I know Batman 1989 came out June 23rd, my birthday. Yeah, it, I'm pretty sure Batman Returns came out in June or July because that one that it was around July. my birthday and it was really weird that it was set at Christmas. Yeah. I was like, why did they release this in the summer? I mean, it's a big summer film, but it just felt it was like, you know, a lethal weapon premiering at Chris or uh premiering during the summer because yeah. similarly at Christmas time. And Batman Forever definitely was summer of 95. Bat- uh, summer of 95 belonged to Batman Forever. <laughs> uh that was I feel like so they awesome. learned I feel like they learned all the wrong lessons from Batman Forever. Like we can get into that, but I yeah. I I just feel like Batman Forever did take it in a different direction, more lighthearted, more sort of fun, um, a little bit more over the top because Jim Carrey is just an over the top performer. Yeah, and, and Tommy Lee Jones Tommy did Lee his Jones, best to match him and his energy, which was rough. <laughs> yeah. That was the my probably least favorite part was Tommy Lee Jones's uh, Two Face because it was like he was trying to match Jim yeah. Carrey's energy and it just didn't work. Yeah, it was still kind of fun though. My worst, my least favorite part of that movie is at the very beginning with that guard who. Uh, luckily has hearing aids, so Batman can use it to break the safe. But he's like, it's boiling acid right at the beginning. And I was like, oh, what am I watching? But then it becomes awesome after that. Um, So this movie is uh, Batman and Robin specifically is hated the world over. Uh, In fact, it was voted number one in Empire Magazine's worst movies ever list in 2010. I, I actually don't know if The Room or Troll 2 had quite hit their their <laughs> cultural zenith yet, so I'm sure those would be included if they did an updated list. But Batman and Robin is pretty universally hated. It's really bad. Like I, I, I mean, it's Batman, <clears throat> so there's a certain amount that's just like fun to watch, and particularly if you're you know a kid or whatever. I I don't want to make light of that either. Like if you're a kid. I'm sure it's a super fun movie to watch. Like, it, there's just so much going on. Superheroes, everything is completely over the top. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from it. And, and like I said, it's like a cartoon or like a musical th- theater children's play. You know, like well, it's just so bonkers. You could easily find the stories of Joel Schumacher directing this thing. I think he was riding very high at this point because he had the one-two punch of Batman Forever and then a Time to Kill back to back, which is. Not quite uh, Spielberg's Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year, but also right. but a pretty huge one-two punch of Critical Darling and huge blockbuster. So he was riding high, uh, and it does seem like this is a coked-out fever dream of a yeah. movie for the most part. But you know, I think it gave him it really emboldened him to do some to, to take some risks to make some choices. And sure, to, uh, choices were made. Sure. Um, but you know, the, sometimes these choices work out. Sometimes they don't. Uh, if you, <laughs> if you look at some of the Amazon reviews, I mean, go to there, the, most of them are like lame, 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 worst movie <laughs> ever. Uh, one Lisa Mack, uh, 13 says this is abs, this is the absolute worst acting besides magic. Mike, of course, Clooney should be ashamed of this film. So cheesy. Why does my five-year-old love it so much? You ask? Well, for Poison Ivy, of course. He has a mad crush on Uma Thurman. Smiley face. Uh, 
and I don't disagree. Uh, you can find a lot of reviews like that. There's a rather long one uh, from a person called A Customer. Uh, the title, directed by a five-year-old, and my god, who puts up the cash for these films, and who the hell thinks they work? Who do I cuss out first? Um, <laughs> they um, they go on for a very long time, uh, tearing this movie apart, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's really fun about this movie, uh-huh. and it's a movie that every time it's on, I'm gonna watch it. I had not seen this movie in forever. Like, I've watched... The original Batman, probably roughly a million times. And Batman Returns, I've watched nearly that many times. Batman Batman 1989, I also because it came out on my birthday, like I just, that changed my life. And so I watched that a lot. At least once a year, I watch Batman. Yeah, Batman 1989 is one of my top five favorite movies of all time. I love it. Easy. I, I think it still works. Like it's still, I think, a great movie. But, um, and Batman Returns, I'll watch pretty much anytime it's on TV. Batman Forever, I'll usually watch a little bit of it. Like if it's on, I'll watch a few scenes or whatever because it's it's really fun and I do genuinely like that movie. But Batman and Robin, anytime that's on, I change the channel. Like there's just nothing that I find worth sitting through in that movie. And I want to be positive about it. I want to like it, but it's just it. I just can't find. I mean. You can hopefully help me to see the light in this movie because I want to like it so much. But I just, every time, like, we just watched it and I'm still was just like groaning throughout the movie. Actually, at a certain point, was like, dude, how long is this movie? You, you did say that about halfway through. And we, I don't even know if we had made it quite halfway. And you were like, how long is this thing? This thing is going on forever. And it's just so, there's no story to really follow. And there's nothing for me to hang on to where I'm like, oh, I love this performance as this or that performance as that. I remember when the movie came out, I was really frustrated with George Clooney's performance as both Bruce Wayne and Batman. And here's something that bothers me about this movie. Everybody in it should be great. Everybody in this movie should be really, really good at their role. With the but exception of maybe Alicia Silverstone. Perhaps <laughs> with the exception of Alicia Silverstone. No, I, I agree because we have like world-class actors. I mean, I guess you don't really consider Arnold Schwarzenegger a world-class actor, but he's a world-class movie star, a world-class presence. Yeah, he's a movie I star. I mean, George like, Clooney is a friggin' Oscar winner, so you'd think that... And George Clooney has that has all of the things that you were talking about in terms of Val Kilmer. Like he is a very good looking guy. He's got charm. He's got you know he's he's not a small guy. He's he's not a very you know muscular guy, but he's not slight or anything. You know, like he has all the things that should work. And I found zero charm in his Bruce Wayne, and I is found he, zero presence with his Batman. Yeah, and one thing I just that just occurred to me is he the only Batman we never saw with his shirt off without his shirt off. Without a shirt on, you mean? Or without a shirt? Oh no, no, no! I'm sorry. He never is he the only Batman we've <laughs> never seen take his shirt off? Christian Bale, yes, definitely. There's uh-huh. that scene in the in the first Batman Begins. There's uh the scene where Michael Keaton's hanging upside down. Uh-huh. Val Kilmer is shirtless several times during Batman Forever. Is George Clooney the only non-topless Batman? Oof. I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. I know it doesn't seem right, but... Oh, Ben Affleck, obviously we got mad shirtless in... Yeah, uh, during his, like, CrossFit. And, and I mean, yeah, and you'd think that Ben Affleck would have been the most awesome Batman and probably had the potential to be if he were just in better movies. Um, Yeah. At least Ben tried to bring something to the role. I think he was a decent Batman. But yeah, with... But yeah, with George Clooney, like, he does this... um, 
bobblehead thing that bothered me from the very first time I saw the movie. Yeah, the bobblehead really does kind of trip me out too. But and sorry, hold on. Before we move on from that, like his since we're since I since I am coming down on George Clooney, like the other thing is as Batman, there's no difference between his doing Batman and his doing Bruce Wayne because he just seems not invested in anything. And when he first shows up, he has a I'm Batman moment, but he's just like, hey, I'm Batman. And that's it. He's not, they don't even stay on him. They don't even stay on him to say, I'm Batman. In the very first Batman where Michael Keaton is like, I'm Batman. Like that's the like coolest. And he, in, even in, uh, when Christian Bale does the, I'm Batman. Like it, all of that. Super cool. George Clooney's just like, hey dude, I'm Batman. I'm yes. getting paid a ton of money. George Clooney definitely plays it unlike any other actor playing the role. I think that you really hit the nail on the head that he made no difference between his Bruce Wayne and his Batman voice. But to me, he's playing it like a cipher to the audience. He is a blank slate. He's a blank slate, all right. He knows that people will project what they want on his performance, on his Batman. So he doesn't let his performance get in the way of that. He plays Batman like nobody, so he can be anybody. So you could be Batman, I could be Batman, anybody could be Batman. I would have. We just have to project to ourselves on to him. And I mean, think about the movie itself. Besides the connection with Alfred, we don't really get uh, much of a story for Batman either. Like that's because and the story is the cipher for us. So if there's no story. We project our story. Well, this this film, much like every Batman film, pretty much, until the Chris Nolan movies came into it, is way more interested in the villains than it ever oh, is yeah, in Batman. Yeah. That's been a problem with all four of those first Batman movies. And, you know, big deal, because I fucking love most of the villains that are in these movies. Yeah. Well, and, and I love the characters... Of Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy from the comic books and from Batman the Animated Series. Right. So like, and again, Arnold Schwarzenegger should have been an awesome Mr. Freeze because all you need to do is look cool. And you pointed out while we were watching it, he has a cool face. He just has an interesting look to him. Yeah. And I actually do, one thing I'll generally say, I love the makeup that they did on Mr. Freeze. That sort of, and his contacts. His like, contacts are amazing. Uh, the fact that when he's in his full getup, they put like an LED light or something in his mouth, so his his mouth glows. Super cool. I think had they really like done more the classic style of Mister Freeze, where it wasn't quite such a busy outfit, where yeah. it's sort of like the dome over his head and everything, and he was just bald, and you could really like see Arnold's face. Arnold looked very cool, and I think so had to his... speak. <laughs> yes, uh, and I think that I think honestly, if we would have got, gotten a different approach to this story. I think it could have been really awesome. And I think people would look back on this and think that Arnold Schwarzenegger was fantastic in this movie. For instance, when he's stuck in Ar- Arkham Asylum, mm-hmm. he's under the freeze beam, as Jesse Ventura puts it, <laughs> or the, the cold zone. Uh, he carves an ice sculpture of his wife, puts yeah. it on the uh, the clock that is provided for him, and is watching it spin. And that is a, one, that's a gorgeous shot. Totally. Um, but that sort of like that sort of pathos, I wish could have carried through the whole thing. And I think that the messiness of the story, the overall story between him and Poison Ivy, really gets in the way of that. I think had we not had to cram a hundred villains into this just so they could make more action figures, had it just been a Mister Freeze story, and had it been more of his tragic backstory that we don't really dive into all that much. Yeah. 
I think this really could have been an awesome movie. And also, if Mr. Freeze didn't have all that shit on his face, had it just been, like, when Arnold is just bald, like, in his prison outfit, even though he's in the goofy black and white striped prison garb that from, you know, cartoons from the 1950s, he looks amazing yeah. as Mr. Freeze. I think he's so cool. And Arnold does have a striking face. Yeah. Like, I know that people think he's not a great actor, but I really think he is. I mean, if you read his book, you see that basically from the time he became an actor, he really committed to his craft and trying to get better at acting. He could never get rid of the accent. That was never going to happen. English will always be his second language. He's never going to, he's not going to be like Mel Gibson and lose that weird accent ever. But he doesn't need to, though. No, he doesn't. And that's the thing. And Victor, the last name Freeze is such a weird name anyway. I know it's not spelled like free, the word Freeze is traditionally spelled, but it's like that guy could have been from Germany or Austria yeah. or wherever. So I didn't really mind the accent. I'm just saying that, like, in those moments where he is feeling the pain of his wife's sickness, of his wife not being around him, and of him being trapped in this this cold uh, state, it, it's, it really is heartbreaking. And yeah. had they stuck with that and not gone with the here's you know let's sing i'm mr white christmas i'm mr snow which i love that song love that song when i worked at hollywood video we had a tape during the holidays that played those two songs back to back mr heat miser and then the snow miser (laughs) songs back to back love them both i would listen to them air day if i could but i but that scene is just so goofy and the giant you know polar bear slippies and the vivica slippers, a yeah. fox and everything and well, and, and like, also why is vivica a fox there why why does he keep like a hot lady around i know that's the, her only I, scene right i know he rebuffs her all the time i jeez is it i think it i think she might have had one other scene but that's the only scene where she had lines but yeah you might be right and then he doesn't have her ever again it's just i guess to establish that he's not interested in other women yeah um because of his wife I don't know the cold shoulder. I, well, yeah. Talk I, about your cold shoulder. The like, thing that bothers I, me the most, and it uh, is that in that scene, talk about taking the teeth out of your villain. Like this, there's him choreographing a little sing along with his henchman. He's got those slippers on and his robe, and the cold misers singing in the background, and it's just like. If there were he's also any sort he's of also threat. smoking a blue frozen cigar. So stupid. Love and it. And I think that's also what I was talking about in terms of learning the wrong uh, lessons from the previous movie. This is superhero movies were also fairly young, and they're not what they are now. And they were very rare at they the time. The, the Batman between. movies were kind of it. I think. Well, I'll take that back. Spawn and I believe Steel both came out in 1997 as well. So it shows you the level. Oh shit! And Blade didn't Blade come out in 97? Yeah. So, I mean, besides Blade, Blade, which is awesome and still holds up. Blade was amazing. But I think that that Blade also, I don't consider and definitely didn't consider at the time a superhero movie. No, that's true. I know he's a Marvel superhero and et cetera, et cetera. But I just thought, oh, this is an amazing uh, vampire movie. And so I think most people at that time thought that as well. And you can make the argument today, but whatever. In 1997, people weren't like, let's go see the superhero film Blade. Superhero movies were like Batman, um, what was the other movie that you mentioned? Steel. Spawn, Steel. Then, so anyway, yeah, my Superman point is, at this point had been out of the limelight for a decade or more. Yeah, but my, so my point is that like they took the lessons of Jim Carrey, who was super over the top, and people thought like, oh, this is a superhero movie, a comic book movie. I need to be acting at an eleven, like that Poison Ivy performance. What was happening? That Mister Freeze performance. If Mister Freeze had just been 
subdued and cold and scary. And just Arnold had just let all that work for him or Joel Schumacher had just let Arnold's presence work for him. I completely agree with some of those moments where he's mainly just that one moment where he's in the jail and he's wearing the old striped outfit, like from the Batman TV show. Like it was, he's, even though he's dressed silly, that's a really heartbreaking moment. And it's just a very quiet, very calm. It's shot beautifully. There's a lot of great shots in this movie, but it's just like everybody's performances and the story and the neon everything and the bat credit card and the nipples. Like there's just so much bananas happening. And the giant gorilla outfit. Speaking of bananas. Yeah. The gorilla, the the gorilla with the like pink perm that shows up that (laughs) also in that scene, like why does everybody stop? There's so much crazy stuff happening in that, which none of those people are from the Amazon rainforest, by the way, but there's just so much like weird generic tribal stuff going on. That's like, people are dancing around. Everything's crazy. And then for whatever reason, everybody just stops and turns and looks at this pink Afroed gorilla. Like, let's see what this guy's going to well, do. Sebastian, the music changes. So there's obviously a music shift, sir, but it's like, what's everyone's happening? like, Oh, well, in terms of the performances of basically uh, except for uh, Barbara Gordon, or well, I guess she's not Barbara Gordon in this. She's Barbara Alfred's niece. Barbara. Or I guess Barbara Pennyworth. I, I don't know. I don't well, think. No, no, no. Because I think she it's had a different his name. Sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah kid. It's kid. Which, by the way, we see pictures of his sister throughout this movie, and it is clearly a picture from the 1940s when Alfred himself would have been young. So how the fuck old was she when she had Barbara? Because if Barbara's supposed to be 20 maybe yeah then man she must have just been some miracle child because yeah her mom was i'd like say six, like 95 yeah 60 or 70 at least by the time she was born so that's quite something but in terms of all the female performances i really feel like they were obviously going for like a femme fatale vibe i think that's something that joel schumacher was really going for with chase meridian in batman forever but a much oh. more subdued version and i think that he thought you know what? I didn't quite succeed in getting that full femme fatale vibe across with her. Let me do it with a villain because I can take I can turn it up to eleven with a villain. Uh, but with her, with Gertie Gotham, the uh, the gossip, yeah. you know, woman who's uh, one of the carryovers from the last movie, and also, uh, well, I guess Elle McPherson is also a pretty subdued performance. She's also got like half a scene. Um, so where basically Bruce just ignores her and, and envisions poison Ivy. Talk about the chemistry between George Clooney and Elle McPherson. Am I right? Oh boy. Just like exploding off the screen. screen. Exactly. But there was actually during that scene, that was sort of when I realized that Uma Thurman as poison Ivy, much in the same way that Arnold in that scene where he doesn't speak really works. I feel like Uma as poison Ivy visually worked amazingly because in that scene, she basically slinks out of a shadow Bruce is fantasizing. He's with his girlfriend, um, Julie, I believe is her name, Julie Danvers or something like that. I already already forgot her last name, but her name's Julie. And uh, Julie Madison, actually, is I think her name. But they're having a dinner, a quiet dinner, much like he and Selena did many, many years ago in, in the mansion. And he's sort of, his mind is elsewhere. She's actually professing her love for him, saying that she wants to marry him. She wants him to settle down. She knows he's got wild nights, which she has no idea. But... Uh, she was, it's time to, you know, put a ring on it. And, you know, Bruce couldn't, couldn't be bothered to be talking to this gorgeous woman sitting across from him. Instead, he's staring off into space and imagining poison ivy coming from the shadows. And in that scene, one, the scene is shot very well. Again, Joel Schumacher knows how to shoot a movie beautifully. So it's photographed very well, but she slinks out of the, 
out of the scene and she just has this way about her that, and it really captures that femme fatale thing because it's not so over the top because she's not talking with the the weird affectation that she does the oh brucey baby i'm here to seduce you that would have been her line <laughs> if she would have had lines but just visually she's there she looks amazing she's got the femme fatale look down pat and i think if we would have gotten more of that more quiet subtle moments from her then I think she could have really worked too. Again, I think that Poison <laughs> Ivy maybe could have worked in a separate movie all to herself. But now that you, they're including Batgirl in it, oh, um, there's just too many characters. There are, there are. That is a huge problem with this. It's just overloaded, and we have Bane on top of it because she needed some muscle. Even though it would have been probably cooler if she would have used her, her super plants, plants to do stuff. And then suddenly she knows like martial arts at the end when she's fighting Batgirl. She does. She does. But um, let's, we're going all over the place here, folks. So let's go back to the beginning, and I want to tell you, let's start so we can tell you why it's great. Here is why it's great. So we obviously start the movie with the famous line, I want a car. Chicks dig the car. Man, that that is so ugh. Because not just the line, but like that intro would have been awesome. There's so many things that could have been awesome. Like when the first thing we see is them basically suiting up, right? right. Like we, it's just like we a see them suiting shots. up. We get shots of bat nipples. We get the bat butt. We get. But that's the... the thing is like you see his their gauntlets or whatever they're called, where they've you know, and everything looks cool. And then it's like this shot of bat nipple, and then this shot of bat butt, and it was like why? Like it looked so cool, and then it was just like Haha, we're cheeky. Literally, there's a butt. And it was, it, there's no reason for it. I mean, it. but it's all, I mean, I think the Joel Schumacher, he started in the last one, he's coming into this one, really like emphasizing the fetishized nature of these characters. They are draped in Why? black leather. Like, there's something a little off about that and a little funny and But it'll sell weird. Happy Meals? And it, but, but that's the thing. Well, first, gotta give the ladies a little something. Gotta give I Joel guess. a little, you know, he's an openly gay man. Like, you gotta give him a little something. Like, why not? And, I mean, he returns the favor when Batgirl suits up. He does the same thing for her. I don't consider it a favor. I'm just like, gah. I don't want to see her but bat butt it, either. Well, here's the thing. They showed all this in the last movie. I don't know why everybody thinks that this is the movie that introduced all this stuff. You had literally all of these shots with Val Kilmer in the last movie. You had bat nipples in the last movie. I'm really tired of people blaming this movie on bat nipples. I didn't blame this movie or, or bat, bat nipples. nipples on this movie. I'm I, saying, why do we need a close-up shot of a bat nipple and then a bat butt? When you had a cool intro coming into it, and then I they mean, have this awesome yes, you, reveal of the Batmobile. That, where the it Batmobile just, comes out, looks amazing. Well, here's it the thing. It looks so cool. And I'm like, oh, this is still, I'm going to I'm gonna forget the Bat nipples. I'm going to forget the Bat butt. This Batmobile looks dope. And it comes out, and then he's like, I need a car. Chicks dig cars. And I was like, oh, you know what? Forget it. Just forget <laughs> it. I will say that, one thing I will say is that there are too many shots of them. Because it's also them, like, picking up their batarangs, picking up their gear, and all this stuff. It kind of goes on for a little bit too too long and it's but it is a funny cheeky it's like silly it's like oh man they're suiting up for the night let's get ready to go this is how they go out for the night you know whereas usually you try on a different shirt you see like what hoodie you're gonna put on <laughs> i speak from I experience not. i speak from experience on that one you know what kind of shoes are you gonna wear these guys are deciding like what weapons are they gonna take out and i while i do agree that you probably could have just started it because it is an awesome shot of this car this batmobile coming out of the ground and over to George Clooney, the first like hero shot of George Clooney as Batman, as our central figure, I think that could have been a better shot. Um, I will say this about the car. By far my least favorite Batmobile. 
Oh yeah, yeah I just think the well, shot is cool. I think the, the reveal the shot, is cool. I mean, that is a Batmobile that looks like a toy. It looks, everything looks like a toy. I mean, everything does look like a toy. That was the this whole is, this point is a commercial. of the movie. It's a two-hour commercial. Oh, it absolutely is. And they made no bones about that. And, you know, and that's fine. That is what it is. But the I never got why this the Batmobile has his head exposed. Somebody could just shoot him in the head <laughs> when he's driving around Gotham City. Or if he, like, you know, goes through a tunnel that's collapsing or something. He's just dead. He's just fucking dead if that happens so confidence uh, yeah i i guess so he's just like man no one's gonna fuck with me i'm fucking batman son of a bitch but yeah we get we do get the cheesy line uh, chicks dig the car and a line that i assume you must have loved as a kid this is why superman works alone oh you know what because i mean sebastian for those who don't know is a humongous superman fan huge superman fan but it's a little bit of a i mean it was fine I don't remember whether I liked it or not. Like it's people have pointed to that of like, oh, shared universe. Yeah. Back in the day. And it's like it's not really like nobody ever No. It's just because a, clearly a joke. Like I mean at all least it is is a joke. Reportedly this movie tanked the possibility of Superman Lives, which was gonna be uh the Nicolas Cage led Tim Burton, which I don't So you're trying to get me to hate this movie. I don't more. know yeah, I know. It's like I don't even know if that movie would have been good, but it would have been interesting. It would have been I mean even this been, movie, like as much as I'm, you know, clowning on this movie like it was visually interesting like yeah you, you can't help but be like oh that's an interesting thing that i'm looking yeah. at the design just, is cool the sets are cool i mean just was a music video it would have been great yeah i mean and you could say that about uh zach snyder's movies for the most part too so it shares some resemblance to uh batman v superman or any of the zach snyder i'd rather led. see this as i mean maybe because of the time period i grew up in but i'd rather see this as a music video like just because zach well you snyder's can just watch the palette uh, is so dark the beginning like, of the end so is muted. the end is the beginning is the end by the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> sure. You can watch that video, and sure. it is a music video. Then that's all I needed was that music video. No, but I mean, like, if you put this up against Justice League, would you rather watch this or Justice League? I think probably Justice League. Honestly, oh bullshit! No, you would rather watch this. This is at least no, fun. No, I. The only reason I would watch Justice League is for the part where Superman comes back. That's the only part I like about. Justice yeah, that's the, the only part that was cool was Superman when the Flash is running past him and Superman's eyes shift really quickly to watch the Flash. That was awesome. It had one awesome moment and otherwise two hours of dreck. Yeah, I can't find anything in this movie though. What? Are you kidding me? No. I mean, then the next shot is Robin's rocket ship. Robin's motorcycle comes oh, out and in, in, in a in a sarcophagus that opens up, <laughs> and it's very wimpy because like even the music like dips out for a second, and it's like, uh, what's happening? Uh, Alfred is all sorts of jokes. He's like, oh, cancel the pizzas. Uh, do try to bring this one back in one piece, which is basically a James Bond line. Yeah, like, more. That's cute talking yeah, to that James is, Bond. That is, even though I don't. I don't think Alfred has anything to do with the construction of these vehicles, but he drives off. Um, they're going down, and in the most like anticlimactic setup of any villain in the Batman series, Commissioner Gordon just comes on the screen and is like, "Batman, there's Mister Freeze. He's here." And it's like, "All right, well." And, and Batman and- goes, "Mister Freeze." So it is like he was. It's like they were just they were heading out. My, I think. They got the information about Mr. Freeze, and they're like, oh, my God, to the Batmobile, Robin. And they they took off. And then Batman was driving away, and he was like, oh, crap, wait, who are we going after? He was like, what's the name of that guy I again? I don't remember. Let me replay what Commissioner Gordon said. And then at the end of that scene, he's like, oh, right, Mr. Freeze. Well, like, I forgot I, that guy's name. I don't believe that because Batman exhibits some extreme detective skills later. Oh, both, please. Both <laughs> outwardly and just subtly. Uh, but they go to the Gotham Museum? 
where Mr. Freeze has frozen the whole place. Yeah, I guess it's probably a Natural History Museum. Yeah, Natural History Museum. He's he's after a gigantic diamond, which is under very little security. It's just under, like, some glass, which seems not like a lot for a diamond the size of (laughs) your friggin' fist. Yeah. Um, Batman and Robin show up, and uh, he lands on the head of a brontosaurus and says, Hi, Freeze, I'm Batman. Almost like that. <laughs> it's pretty much that. Almost like that. I think that. that was more charismatic. That is hilarious. And then he slides down the dinosaur like Fred motherfucking Flintstone. Hi, Freeze. I'm Batman. And I thought that would be the point when I was... Because when I was rewatching it, I thought, when I was a kid, sitting down in the theater as this unspooled for the first time, what was the moment where I was like, oh, shit, we're in for a bad ride? <laughs> and I thought that was it, but I was mistaken. It's a few minutes later when the hockey team from hell... Uh, has them surrounded, has them knocked down, and they click their heels and fucking ice skates magically come out of their <laughs> feet. And that was the point where I think maybe for the first time in my life I thought about leaving a movie. Um, I've still to this day never walked out of a movie, but I came pretty close to that. Oh, except for Pitch Black, which uh, my best friend and I went to. We watched the trailer for X-Men that we knew was going to be on it. The very so first X Men movie. The watched the trailer for X Men and walked out. Walked out of a packed theater, by the way. That movie was jam packed. Wow. And I hear Pitch Black is good. I've never actually seen it. I liked it. That's it probably why I'm not video. a big fan of Vin Diesel. I never saw the thing that brought him to us. Uh, so I don't know if I actually walked out of that movie or I just. Because we went there for the purpose of watching the X Men trailer, but. It's not like you were disappointed in the movie. You just exactly. Didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. We, didn't, we never made it to the movie. There was another trailer coming on. We didn't care. We got out of there. I saw Batman and Robin in the movie theater, and I never once thought, I mean, especially back then, I would never have walked out of a movie, but I, and I, I'm sure I enjoyed it enough, you know, like there, there, especially back then when you, we weren't like spoiled with all the superhero movies that we have now, it was still cool to have a Batman movie. And I loved Arnold Schwarzenegger back then and stuff, you know, so I was very disappointed in the movie, but I still was like, it was worth my money. Yeah. I was also disappointed especially at that point and i think i realized then that this is a movie that is different from what the movie that i had in my mind oh yeah because i saw the trailer and we actually watched the trailer before watching the movie and the trailer still has a lot of the jokes and a lot of the cold puns and ice puns but there is more of a serious tone to it it does use the old danny elfman batman theme which this does not utilize and as i said to sebastian you could put any footage over that batman theme and i would get fucking jacked yeah because that is just such a great song uh such a great score in the movie though yeah no i love the it's bold and it's brassy and it's huge and that's very much a hallmark of those couple of schumacher films though that style of score which is just very bombastic uh even maybe even more so than the danny elfman score yeah um is definitely a hallmark of those but uh, think, but yeah, the trailer was very serious, in, including the moment in in this first scene where the guy asks for mercy, and Mister Freeze says, "Mercy? I'm afraid my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy." But they just cut that out and just cut straight to him shooting the guy, uh, yeah. and it just seems very cold blooded. And I feel like the way Arnold looks in it, cold blooded. Yeah, I know, I know. It's not, not an intentional joke, but the way he looks in it, had he done, had they cut most of his. Life, lines or at least most of the the campiness and the jokes i think it could have been really cool almost every line of his is a, a one-liner yeah like they're all puns i mean it's just and it, that's kind of what bothered me about the beginning of this movie is it starts with robin then goes to alfred then goes to mr freeze and it's just a bunch it's of a puns joke and one-liners and, and in between going from 
Alfred to Mr. Freeze, we also get Batman sliding down the back of a brontosaurus like Fred <laughs> Flintstone. Yeah. No, it is just a bunch of jokes in that. It's and when they kick their heels and uh, and ice skates come out, it's like, oh, this is a kids movie. And I yeah. feel like we should have all realized that at that point. Realized this is not certainly not Batman 1989, not even Batman Forever. Yeah. This is a new breed of Batman film. Let's accept it and move on and just enjoy it for what it is, which is, and I'm not going to go through every single beat of the movie, but it's just fun. It's fun. It's bright and never, obviously, never takes itself too seriously, which is obviously the biggest problem of superhero films now are taking themselves too seriously. This one doesn't. They, I mean, he has a rocket that goes into space, which I also was like, why does he have a rocket? Is it just because space is cold? Like, well, he had to get he, he had to get to away. Space? He also had wings built into the back of his suit, so so he thought this he just would his escape. His he had a rocket to and escape. Then fly down. He was gonna blow Batman up in it, but Batman, because he was afraid of it blowing up, had to blow up. <laughs> he was scared that it was gonna blow up and kill people, so he had to blow up the thing and uh, and ride and then the surf door. surf the doors back down to Earth. Um, but, yeah, but Batman and Robin should have been dead at least 25 times in the first five minutes of the movie. And th- here's one thing. This is definitely uh, a hit against this movie. Is the by far the worst Batman action of any of the Batman movies. Uh, any of the original total, Batman movies. Like the whole movie, you mean? Or this particular moment where there's... Well, surfing. certainly this moment because it's dumb and it's very poor CG that is not, de- that is not uh, aged well. No. But coming off of Batman Forever, which I would argue has some of the better Batman, like, in the suit fighting action. Yeah, it's got a lot of Batman action. Yeah, it's got a lot of Batman action. Just because, like, the original Batman, uh, he really doesn't do much. Like, he barely kicks. Uh, The most we get is when he does the Indiana Jones joke where the guy with the swords comes around and flings him around. And he does, like, he takes him out with one punch. That's kind of, like, the biggest action moment we get with Batman. I don't know. There's a lot of him, like, flying around and swinging and stuff, which is great. He he fights all the guys. It's that same moment. But he fights all the guys in that alleyway. Um, The guy that has the knives and it's like, against his gauntlets. And then at the end of the movie... He fights a bunch of guys as well. Yeah, but like, um, think about it. Does he do any kicks? No, I don't think so. Uh, he does like one or two kicks. But maybe, I, no, I totally maybe, get what you're saying. I totally but it, get uh, that saying. was definitely, I mean, that was the first Batman costume. It was definitely the most restrictive of the Batman costumes. So uh, I understand that. It didn't get a whole lot better for the second movie. In fact, besides him pulling that piece of, that chunk of wall to knock out one of the the clowns. I don't remember t- a whole lot of Batman action in that one. I feel period. like there was more in the first one. Batman's also in that movie way less than any of the Batmans. He's in that movie for maybe 12 minutes of screen time. Yeah. So there's definitely not a lot of fighting. So anyway, when Joel Schumacher came in, we got a lot of Batman in yeah. Batman Forever. We got a lot of Batman actually fighting and beating ass, which is great. I thought super cool. Maybe that's one of the reasons I think that's one of my favorite Batmans is that he actually was a fighter. Uh, obviously, until we got around to the Christopher Nolan. Unfortunately, Christopher Nolan does not know how to shoot an action scene, so that kind of took away from that. No no offense to Christopher Nolan, because obviously he's one of the greats uh, well, of I our like, generation. But And maybe this is the thing for me, too, is like in Batman 1989, I didn't mind that there wasn't a ton of uh, action or martial arts or whatever. Um, it was more of the like, tone of the movie. And I think in Nolan's Batman Begins, 
one thing I really liked was that he is just in shadow and guys are just disappearing. Yeah, you that was that see was a cool. bunch of stuff. Yeah. When you start putting Batman in the harsh light of day, he starts to look very silly. Yeah, this is true. And or even just like long shots where you can see him doing a lot of things because no matter what, that suit is going to be cumbersome. Even when they slimmed it down so much for the yeah. second and third Nolan Batman movie, yeah, it still was just cumbersome and awkward to the fighting in that thing. The fighting in the Zack Snyder movies, I would say, is pretty great yeah like the batman fight. yeah that was the best like batman going and kicking ass scene ever um we have uh i guess we'll have to skip around because i just realized now we're about 40 a little over 45 minutes in and we barely oh, scratched yeah. the surface of this movie so there's much. there really is so much to go along i mean we're gonna have to unpack certain things uh another great thing about this movie is john glover the uh, one of the antagonists slash protagonists of Gremlins 2, A New Batch, plays Jason Woodrow, a.k.a. the Floronic Man. Uh, he's the one who creates Bane. Now, do you recognize... Were you wondering where that guy was from? No, no, I knew what he was oh, from, okay. but you had said... I didn't realize... I, I had forgotten his name was John Glover, because he plays, actually, Lionel Luther in Smallville. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, Lex Luthor's dad, right? Yes. I didn't watch Smallville, but I knew that because I watched the pilot recently, and I was he like, was, oh, shit. He was awesome in that, and he's been in a bunch of... He's been in a bunch of movies that I really enjoyed, but when you had said Gremlins 2, I didn't put it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays the guy who owns and operates the building. Now I'm, Gremlins now I'm, 2, The New Batch, one of my favorite movies of all time. No joke. It's fantastic. Uh, also, a Batman tie-in on that. If you remember when the Bat Gremlin gets made and he flies through the wall, it leaves a perfect Bat symbol. Which actually leads me to my next point, which is when Robin flies through the wall of the museum, he leaves a perfect Robin symbol. Another thing they cut around... Does he? I didn't yeah. even notice that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were probably typing how much the movie was terrible at the time. <laughs> but, yeah, he flies in, and there's a perfect Robin symbol that he leaves in his oh, wake boy. as he's sliding. There's a lot of motorcycle sliding in this movie, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he leaves a perfect Robin symbol reminiscent of the perfect bat symbol left by the Gremlin bat. However, Gremlin's new batch was a comedy on purpose. Yeah. Whereas this is kind of a comedy inadvertently. And I feel like if they had just... If they had just embraced all of that and even given Batman a different suit and just changed stuff, they didn't try and marry the the Tim Burton's universe with the very wild and crazy Batman and Robin universe and just had it been a kid's movie unabashedly, I feel like it would have worked so much better. I think had Clooney honestly been on board with what kind of movie they were making because Arnold knew what kind of movie they were making. Uma definitely knew what kind of movie they were making. I think George and Chris O'Donnell and the, all the Bat crew were not quite in on the joke. And I think that uh, Chris O'Donnell, for what it's worth, like I'm not a huge Chris O'Donnell fan, and I think he was way too old to be playing the boy wonder, uh, the man <laughs> the wonder. Petulant boy <laughs> yeah. wonder. The uh, 35 in, year old petulant boy. In, uh, yeah, in the last movie. Even though I, I still think he looked cool in the last movie and, and did a good job. Uh, but I think despite his, his being too old, he's really trying in this movie. He's trying to carry over that performance and he still has that vibrant energy. And in fact, there's a scene between him and Bruce where they're arguing about being partners, which is just the conflict between the two characters the entire time. And there's just a light. There's just a glint in Chris O'Donnell's eye. That's just not there in George's eye. Yeah. Um, which again, I, place that glint of my own into george <laughs> oh, because wow. i you know in that way love that performance uh it's such do a you honestly love george Clooney's performance no I, I don't honestly but I, it is so mysterious like i think i mean i'm a fan of things that are ostensibly bad a lot of times and that is a poor performance he was not putting a lot of effort into it but i think it's just so strange that that's why i like it i'm sort of drawn to it because i'm like 
I mean, that's why I watched this movie for many years in its entirety was because I'd put it in and be like, was it really that bad? Was it in my <laughs> imagination? Like, am I for am I not getting something here? And I think a few years back, I was like, holy fuck, this is a comedy. That's what I realized about Gremlins 2, The New Batch. I think a lot of people hated that when it came out. But I very quickly realized, oh shit, this isn't supposed to be a sort of weird, like, off-kilter horror comedy like the first one is. They right. just completely get rid of the horror element ex- with the exception of a few scenes in Gremlins 2. And it's just a balls-out Looney Tunes comedy. And I realized that pretty quickly, probably by the point that Hulk Hogan shows up and breaks the fourth wall and tells the Gremlins to put the tape back into the machine or <laughs> to fix the real. But, yeah, it's 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 funny. And this movie, while I don't, like, laugh out loud constantly at it, it is just, like, this perplexing, like, sphinx of a movie. Yeah. And that's what I, I like about it is because it, it draws me back in every time. I agree with you that they're in different movies. And I, I actually do think, I, you know, I think everybody gives uh, Chris O'Donnell a, a lot of crap for being older than his character. But, I mean, that's not on him. He's, no, that's not on him. Of he's his not. age, and he did the best that he could and to he did bring a good that job. sort he did of a good job actually vibrant playing, energy to it. Yeah, playing that character as being petulant and as a kid, even though he is like a 35-year-old man, yeah. he, he brought it. Yeah, and I think that he really was trying to give a good performance and trying to connect with George Clooney. And I think George Clooney, honestly, he just seemed uninvested to me. But maybe he also was trying to bring some sort of like subtlety to it that, it, you know, put next to everything else that's going on in this movie makes him look less invested than he actually was. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I do think that that's why it would have been nice to have just a clean break and just have not have Chris O'Donnell, not have George Clooney. Not that George Clooney is a carryover, but he was still trying, I think, to be... I don't know. I mean, I felt bad for him a lot of the time because he would have these dumb lines and you could tell that he didn't want to say them. Yeah. And it was just like, just get somebody else then. Like, let him go do ER and let you get somebody that's yeah. like going to be like the Adam West, you know, that's going to actually embrace all of that. If you would have go gotten somebody direction. like Patrick Warburton, I know that he wasn't a big star back then or anything and isn't a huge star now. But have you gotten somebody like Patrick Warburton who would have really leaned into the comedy of the part? Andy is a big dude and he's a handsome dude. That would have been like perfect. Yeah. Or like Dietrich Bader at the time. Like, sure. He would have been perfect um, for this particular kind of movie. However, there was the sense that this is still a prestige blockbuster, uh, which it was and it wasn't, obviously. Yeah. It obviously did not turn out to be some prestigious film um, in anybody's eyes. But I, yeah, I, I think that it is interesting to me that an Alfred, like Michael Goff, is acting his ass off in this movie. <laughs> like yeah. he really grounds this movie a lot, and he's really good. And I do really appreciate this movie for the fact that it doesn't once again rehash the uh, uh, Bruce's origin story. We we don't get to see, we don't have to go back to Crime Alley. We don't have to see the pearls. We don't have to see the roses. And Alfred finally gets his due as this important character, this important human in Bruce's life. And we see how much he means to Bruce, which especially in the films where he was strictly a butler, where even though he's 95 years old in the first movie, Bruce still expects him to clean up his dishes in the morning. It's like, Bruce, he's getting paid. Yeah, he's getting paid. But Bruce, (laughs) you're you're a grown ass man. Clean your dishes, bro. Uh, After hooking up with Vicky Vale, just sneak downstairs. Don't hang upside down. In your room, go sneak downstairs and clean some fucking dishes, bruh. Or hire somebody else. Like, or, hire, yeah, hire, hire some help. Well, it's hard to hire some help when you got when you are Batman. So True. you got one trusted person. But anyway, back to this movie. Well, I, I, I love... just want to say though, like you're talking about uh, talking about Alfred, and I I think in that first movie they do point out quite a bit how much Alfred means to uh, Bruce Wayne. Yeah, in one, and in one line. 
I think that's all we needed was when he's talking about when he when Bruce is talking to Vicky Vale about Alfred. Like he doesn't need to be talking about Alfred there, but he talks very highly of Alfred in that moment. And I think throughout, like you really see how much he cares about Alfred and how much Alfred cares about him. So I don't think this is necessarily new that he's getting his due, but I think that he takes such a large role in the story mm-hmm. is definitely a um, a new and big thing where he's actually dying. And I, and I agree, he's acting his butt off, but like, I feel like the movie doesn't give him that would be interesting, but there's so much else going on. It, it is like drowned amid like all these wacky ass scenes. It just doesn't totally fit when you go to Bruce having a heartfelt moment uh, with Alfred, this man who's sort of shaped him after his parents died. And then you go to Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze yeah. talking about their two plans, which are 100% incompatible. She wants to cover the world in plants and make plant life take over the world. He wants to freeze the world. How do these two things combine? I don't know. Uh, also, she had a very janky animatronic plant that was uh, in that scene. And I never quite understood that. And we never, like, brought up that plant again. Or, like, we never got to see, like, a fully matured version of that plant where... Unless that's the plant she's sitting in that eats her. <clears throat> oh, maybe. It maybe just grew that really fast. inexplicably and... eats her at the end. Yeah. It's just like, eh, that's what I do. <laughs> that's what you trained me for. Um, so... I will... Uh, one thing I'd like to point out that's really cool... Because a lot of these special effects did not age well at all. And there is just so much zaniness going on. There's a point where she has Bane break a uh, the floor so that she can plant some seeds. And then she goes and she sits down and the plant life is growing all around her. And a lot of it is out of focus and just in the background or in the foreground, but out of focus. And it's all kind of just happening around her. And I thought that was really cool. It was a, that the scene just kind of went on and it wasn't about, they, look you, how insane everything you, is. You thought it was cool that this film had a moment of subtlety? Yeah. I was like, oh, there, that would that? actually be cool. Yeah. And then, of course, they ruin it because then it, she like holds one of the plants in her hand and it's like, Mleh. Yeah, it makes it sound like, ah. <laughs> and it's also poorly rendered CG from the 90s so there's also that yes um let's just talk about uma for a minute i mean sure we have to, we have to really discuss this a she's a character that self monologues constantly yes um I, and can we just mention real quick that this was written by this movie is written by kiva goldsman who would later go on to win a fucking oscar for what for a beautiful mind yeah, okay. And yeah. he would write like all the like <laughs> angels and demons and Da Vinci Code and all those. He's done yeah. a lot of stuff. He's currently uh, got come back to these roots, and now he's like the brain, the headmaster of the Transformers series. So, yeah, yeah you can kind of see the it's Batman kinda... and Robin influences in that a little bit more. But it's got some range. Sure does. You could say that. Um, but she is a character who monologues a lot to herself, and eventually yeah. they even give her Bane, who at least she's talking to somebody, even though he never really responds, except for maybe monosyllabically. Uh, he only ever says one word. If Whatever the last word somebody says is, he says He just that. repeats it. Which is unfortunate, because Bane is super intelligent in the comics. He's a mindless dolt in yeah. this movie. Bane really... I wish she had, like, a Swamp Thing-type, like, plant beast... That could have yeah, helped that her. Been cool. Like, had she turned like the Doctor Jason Woodrow into like a plant monster that followed her every whim, that would have been cool. Instead of wasting Bane for what could have been an awesome moment. I However, was so excited for Bane. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Your your thing. No, I was just gonna say I was so excited for Bane when I heard Bane was gonna be in the movie. Oh, of course. And then when I saw the design of Bane, I was like, this is dumb. And I was really excited to see him and Batman fight because the comics. And then it was just. 
clunky. Dumb. Yeah, it's just very <laughs> clunky. Again, the worst Batman action. George Clooney, even though apparently they like made the suits much, much less heavy and cumbersome, George Clooney could not move in this thing at all. It was the he... least athletic person. Not even the least athletic Batman. Just like it was so not athletic. Yeah. Even just getting up. Yeah. Like when he's laying down as Batman and gets up, he's like, Ugh. Yeah, yeah. The scene where Poison Ivy sort of like has him and and he's still, you know, Batman will never be able to move his neck properly, but he can't move his neck. And then, yeah, it's a sh- like a wide shot of him standing up. And it is the most awkward, janky standing. Like, it looks like a 75-year-old man getting up <laughs> off out of bed. So, there's that. And, yeah, I look, I was excited about Batman. Or, I'm sorry. I was excited about Bane as well. Uh, in the trailer, there's a shot of him, like, tearing the, the bat signal out of its roots. Which looks and, cool. Like, which looks super cool. And, again, there's a ton of great shots in this. So I was stoked about it. I was also stoked to see Batman and Bane fighting. And, honestly, weirdly, in the movie, like, I know a lot of times when I see something in a comic book movie, certainly nowadays, like the movie Venom, which I did not really enjoy all that much. I thought it was kind of garbage. But when you finally see Venom, and he is fully Venom, and he's hopping around... And he looks like that Todd McFarlane drawing. It's like there's a visceral thrill to it. There was zero visceral thrill to seeing Batman and Bane face off. It was just like, oh, it's just dumb, whatever. Like, it didn't feel like that Titanic clash that you really want. Yeah. Um, Probably because, again, the action was so bad. It was also, like, super brightly lit. There was, like, nothing moody about this movie at all. With the exception of one or two shots here and there. Like, the shot of Uma Thurman walking out of the shadows in that one fantasy scene Bruce had. But... Yeah, I was super excited about Bane. I, I do think he was wasted. Um, but And it was played by Jeep Swinson, who is a professional wrestler who sadly died a couple months after the movie came out. And I'm sure he was super excited to play the part. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit of a waste of a villain. And we could have probably gone somewhere else. I mean, I understand why Poison Ivy needed to have some muscle. Because otherwise, uh, I mean, she's a woman. What else could she do, right? <laughs> Well, if they're not going to do the... Um... That was a joke, by the way. No, <laughs> nobody could see my face. I was making a very sarcastic face. Um, but if they're not going to do the stuff with her plants that is powerful or with her... They, and like you said, they didn't emphasize her strength at all. They didn't... I mean, that's on Just, them. They didn't... They made her that sort of damsel or, you know... Well, she's using her feminine wiles, which is exactly what oh, yeah, Batgirl, Batgirl calls her out for at the end. Um, however, something that really clicked for me... And uh, <laughs> and this viewing is thinking about Joel Schumacher, who's an openly gay man in Hollywood, and getting opportunities that a lot of gay directors certainly at the time may not have gotten. I mean, he got to direct giant blockbuster movies, and he even got away with again some of the more like fetishizing things that I feel like would usually with a gay guy behind it may have made uh, studio heads a little uncomfortable, but they let him do his thing. And I think, again, he got to go a step further with this. And I think in the characterization of Poison Ivy, I feel like he was making, he was attempting at least to make a new, like, gay icon. She is, like, tailor-made for it. Right down to her final look and that last scene, not the very last scene at Arkham Asylum, not her CODA scene, but the last scene where she fights, faces off against Batgirl and Batman and Robin and she's kind of got the, like, fake lashes that go really high on her face. And she's got, like, this wacky-ass eyeshadow. She looks kind of like a drag queen. Huh. And it sort of made me realize, like, I think it was supposed to be this over-the-top kind of gay icon. Like a, you know, like Eliza. Lady Gaga. Yeah, like a lady. Exactly. Exactly that. And I think for that, he succeeded. 
Interesting. I, I know that like maybe that hasn't because the movie is so hated that that hasn't get gotten plucked out of it. But and honestly, I'm just this is just conjecture. I have no idea what Joel Schumacher's real intentions were. He may have just been high on cocaine the whole time. Who knows? <laughs> but or just high on millions of dollars. But I think that yeah, it was something that he was going for. Just the way she. Uh, the way her like lilting voice and the way she slinks around everywhere, it's just like tailor made to be a gay icon. And it's Uma who's she's amazing and gorgeous and yeah. um and has the kind of look that anybody could appreciate. <laughs> I know yeah. that but I mean, she's beautiful I she's beautiful, she's got a great I that's what I was saying at the beginning, is like she should have been awesome. And again, maybe that's sort of my my expectations versus what they were actually going for in this movie, which is hard for me to reconcile. Right. Right. But maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what they were going. for. I mean, I think it's an interesting take and something that again, I hadn't realized until sitting down this time to watch it. So I think that if you want to hear, here's why it's great. I mean, yeah, I think that even though the two villains are a little incompatible, Bane is a little wasted. Poison Ivy is this kind of interesting, thing and i mean her also her motivations just generally are a little all over the place i i guess she wants to kill humanity but she never seems to except for one or two scenes where she's actually pamela isley as poison ivy herself she never seems all that angry at humanity or we never actually see the effects of like deforestation or no. the environmental stuff like i feel like had they gone a little bit further with that and like rooted grounded her character in something real i think that would have taken her out of her cartoony territory which is probably why they didn't do it. But I think those themes are potent. They are very real and certainly something that we're still dealing with today. So every, Hey, joke's on everybody else. Like everybody was laughing at her when she's talking about like environmentalism and climate change. They're all like, oh, you're an idiot. Yeah. Look at us now. Exactly. Look, look at where, us now. Look where we're at. So well, I, she's poison ivy though. Yeah. She pretty much just wants to seduce the men and be the only woman around. Like she tries to kill Nora. Right. Because she wants to be the only woman. She tries to kill Batgirl because she wants to be the only woman. This is a one-woman show. Yeah. And she keeps... Like, she can very easily, like, just kill these men with the venom. But, but she, she likes wants to play with them. them. She wants them to, to want kiss her. her. Yeah. She wants them to want her. She is, again, that femme fatale, uh, which is something I feel like people just overlook a little bit because of the silliness of the movie. I think had they shot it more like neo-noir... I think that would have not have been lost on people, and she would have gotten the credit she deserves, because Uma Thurman is a wonderful actress, and I think she actually turned in a pretty neat performance here. I mean, is it silly? Like, is the dialogue fantastic? Is her plot fantastic? No, but <laughs> but as a performer, as doing, I mean, sometimes being a performer is about doing a lot with very little, and I think she did a lot. That's true. Some might say too much. With very little material to work off of. Well, I think that it's not on her. I don't think it's on any particular person. Like, even when I'm saying, like, everybody was at an 11 and blah, 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 and this movie didn't work. I don't know that that's... That's certainly not Uma's fault. That's not Arnold's fault. That's not George Clooney's fault or Chris O'Donnell's fault. Like, or Alicia Silverstone's fault. Like, it's... It's a little Alicia's fault. Um, Just kidding. Um, but it's... Because if what she's going for is that sort of very over the top children's theater or whatever you're whatever yeah, she's playing to the cheap seats then then great she was successful and she succeeded and that's really on joel schumacher and the, you know the other people that are steering the ship 
to make sure that everything works together. Yeah. That's not on any one actor. You know, that should be conveyed between amongst everybody. And that's really up to the director to make sure that everybody's on the same page, that everybody's, you know, building towards the same movie. And also, you know, maybe that's what he wanted to do, but that's not what the studio wants. Like, who knows what was going on? There's so many people that work on a movie that are also trying to sell Happy Meals and are also trying to sell toys. And, you know, there's just... That's that's the difficult thing with a movie like this is there's just... Everybody has a, a goal that they're after. Everybody has an intention, and it's not just about, like, making great art. True that. True that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know if, how much I've convinced you, but let me let me throw some more things at you. Yeah, hit me. All right. So, one, uh, the set design. You can't deny that it's off the charts and it's absolutely awesome. huge. I mean, look at just the museum scene at the beginning is amazing. The observatory, these are all shot in the Warner Brothers lot. And, I mean, yeah, you can tell that basically every scene is a soundstage. <laughs> but I think that they were really amazingly well done. Um, the costumes are cool. Uh, Mr. Freeze's outfit, like I said, it's too busy, and I would have preferred something a little bit simpler, but just looking at it as an achievement of putting that together and building that costume and conceptualizing that costume and the lighting on side and, like, it actually reflects his power level um, is really neat and cool to me. And, again, his makeup... I can't say enough about how great his makeup is, his look, and all. And when he, whenever he's not in the cold, like in the Arkham Asylum scene, when he gets out of the cold beam and he turns around and he's gasping for air, and his eyes are like this pale blue, yeah. and he's dying because he's not in the cold ray. Like it's truly terrifying and freakish, and I think that was quite an achievement. Uh, Absolutely, he looks like Gollum almost. Yeah, and towards the end, same thing. He's in the sun. Uh, he he's been defeated at this point. His costume is out of power, and like. He's got, like, red veins on his face that just look gnarly. Yeah. Very cool. Like, this is actually, I feel like this movie, when I was watching it, I kind of realized this is sort of like a precursor for what we live in now, like an Avengers-type movie, where we have this innate understanding of how these kinds of movies work, where we also have some sort of uh, prior knowledge of the characters involved. Like, we don't need to explain who Batman is. We don't need to explain who Robin is. We don't even need to have to explain who Mr. Freeze and Uma... Or, (laughs) not Uma Thurman, (laughs) but Poison Ivy are. The way we operate in comic book movies now, like, God, watch Avengers, and it's like, you've got to sink or swim. And that's kind of how this is, is the way it goes from plotline to plotline with very little care for connective tissue. And I think that's... uh, While it didn't exactly work wonders for the movie, Mm -hmm. I think it was an interesting precursor to how we are now, where the culture at large has this prior knowledge of all these characters. So we just dispense with the backstories like usually in a tim burton version of that we would have seen i mean hell we saw penguin's birth and we saw him going into the into the sewers and all that stuff so i mean like we saw catwoman's explicit origins and sure we do see poison ivy and bane both created in the movie but very um, quickly but very quickly and we kind of just like cut randomly to a south american jungle uh, in the middle of this movie, which is very different for a Batman movie, because I feel like that's the first time we've ever gone outside of Gotham in any of these movies. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that it's sort of setting up what would come later in the style, the way movies are, the way these stories are put forward and portrayed. Yeah, you know what, actually what that just reminded me of is comics that we grew up on when we were young and comics that we made when we were young. Mm-hmm. Um, we've both joked about our own stuff quite a bit where I'll speak for myself, but I know that so many comics I made when I was a kid, it was like, people show up, let's fight. Oh, we're friends now. Let's be a team. Let's go. 
And one of the big things for me with this movie was like Batgirl shows up and they're just like, cool, we're a team now. Yeah. And it, it is that sort of kid mentality yeah. of just like, oh, there's a couple good guys. Hey, good guys, let's be a team. I mean, if you look at this note on my computer right here, this movie is like a five-year-old made it up as they went along, like yeah. as they were going along. And that's really what it feels like, but in a good way, in an axe cop kind of way <laughs> is what I appreciate about it. It's just like, and then? Uh, and then Bane has bombs that are shaped like ice, and he uh, and he blows it up. And Mister Freeze has to get diamonds to power his ice ray. Like what? Why would why would you need diamonds yeah. to power your ice machinery? That makes no fucking sense. But but there are no limits on imagination. Exactly. Like uh, and then his his headquarters is in an ice cream factory that's shaped like a snowman, and it's got a beam or it's got a switch that says uh, freeze on one end and heat on the other, and the freezing kills the cops, and he takes the. It's like that's what the entire movie is. It's like a breathless child like explaining their fever dream yeah. to their parents after they wake up, and then that parent was Joel Schumacher, and he was like, <laughs> "I've got it. <laughs> I know what I'm making now. I." Love that about this movie. Actually. I think, that, yeah, I mean, I think that if you think of it that way, and and really, I think looking back at comics that we made when we were kids has helped me to get yeah. to grasp what you were talking about. And every scene in this movie is charming or fun or both, and I feel like people overlook that. I think of every scene in this movie, maybe only one scene is even flirting with being boring, which is the scene between Bruce and El McPherson. Uh, but then Poison <laughs> right. Ivy shows up and she looks amazing. So that finally, like, even when that scene came up, I told you, I was like, oh, we can skip this scene, right? Because the girlfriend storyline has no bearing on anything and adds nothing to the plot other than she gets jealous because he's thinking of Poison Ivy. But Well, I mean, it shows that Bruce is not, uh, doesn't have any real relationships or any real, like, attachments. I yeah. Think. And, well, there you go. And then that means that Alfred is that much more important. And even, and those are the only scenes where I feel like the ones with Alfred are the scenes that George Clooney does bring a little something to the table where yeah. he does show a, a true affection for this guy and an inability to really fully express and communicate how he feels about him. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I mean, there's <laughs> there's some stuff. I mean, George Clooney's bobblehead is crazy distracting. <laughs> I can't... Who is Poison Ivy talking to? You know, and Alfred's analysis of why Bruce Wayne is, is Batman is kind of cool. You know, in a... Tim yeah. To control death itself. That was actually a cool moment between them of him finally like psychoanalyzing Bruce a little bit and yeah. saying, you know, it's like your your parents were taken from you at a young age and you've done everything in your power to control everything about your life ever since then. And that's up to including Batman and that's trying to, yeah, control death itself. And I think that's an interesting thing and that's a cool theme to pick up for the whole movie because obviously his whole quest is to like, against all odds, keep Alfred alive. And yeah. of course he does. Because he's, he's Batman and conveniently Mr. Freeze had found the cure for stage one of McGregor's syndrome, uh, which happens to be the, right. the exact fake disease that Alfred is uh, stricken with. But that is a cool moment, too, because I like that Alfred is completely honest with Bruce. Yeah. Like that Bruce hasn't asked these questions before. He's just kind of carried on with his mission. And Alfred has been nothing but supportive this whole time. And then when Bruce actually does say like, Am I like this, Alfred? Alfred's just like, well, yes, uh, you yeah. are. He was real with him, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, the imagery of, again, I, I keep going back to Mr. Freeze and his wife. Like, all the imagery with Freeze, not in the big goofy outfit, not singing White Christmas, not 
smoking a frozen cigar, not with Vivica A. Fox in her one and maybe a half scene, but just her in that tank. And I feel sad for that supermodel who had to just like chill in a, like literally chill in a tank for however many weeks of filming. But it's just beautiful and haunting those yeah. shots. I mean, it's very reminiscent. They clearly watched uh, Batman, the animated series and watched the fantastic Mr. Freeze episodes from that and stole a lot from that. But that shit works. I mean, I'm just, you know, that's yeah. that's that. I love how great of a detective Batman is. Like, we get very little actual detecting from Batman usually. Uh, but in this one, uh, in this movie, we have him obviously look at the patch on Barbara's sweater to determine she's from Oxbridge Academy. Certainly not Oxford. Uh, Oxbridge Academy. And she's like, oh, how'd you know I'm from Oxbridge? He's like, the patch on your sweater. Not Oxford. Not Cambridge. Nope. Oxbridge. And I thought that was fantastic. The other thing is when he and Robin are casually walking through Mr. Freeze's lair and they're having a conversation about Poison Ivy and they're sort of like talking like, you know, dude talk about her. Like, oh, great stems. Yeah, buds too. And Batman's like, yep, here we go. And <laughs> pulls back the frozen dinner and presses the button of to of secretly, yeah, to, to, to open up Mr. Freeze's lair in his lab as if. He had done it a million times. That's how good of a detective he is in this movie. And Robin's not even surprised that Batman was able to find it. He was just like, well, he is the world's greatest detective. Uh, Yeah. Robin's just like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) The line that Arnold Schwarzenegger utters, Adam and evil. It's an amazing line. You can't, you can't take that away. I love, I mean, the set design again, but the love, I love the look of the like fully planted and tricked out Turkish baths. Oh, yeah. Which has that sort of like crazy neon blacklight poster look to it. Fantastic. And I love that Poison Ivy looked like Cindy Lauper at the end of the movie. She did. I like that as well. <laughs> and gotta love Cindy. Um, That's when, her whole thing the whole time. She's like, girls just want to have fun. She, she does just want to have fun. Some fun with these bat boys. Uh, Barbara, who uh, is now Batgirl and looks very obviously like herself. There's no mistaking <laughs> that sort of derpy Alicia Silverstone face. It's like, it's me, Bruce. To him, as if he couldn't fucking tell by looking at her. Uh, and by the way, she calls him Bruce five feet away from where Poison Ivy is. Like, yeah. Poison Ivy now knows Batman's secret identity. She calls him Bruce. She calls herself Barbara. Yeah. In a movie where, like, they actually buck the trend of, like, Bruce's girlfriend learning his secret identity. Like, this is the only one where he doesn't, because Chase Meridian does, Selena Kyle does, and Vicki Vale obviously does. Thanks to Alfred, that fucking asshole. But, uh... Elle she McPherson does not. She doesn't. Julie medicine something uh oh and finally um and i love the shot where poison ivy checks her reflection in the knife oh, you didn't yeah. you didn't seem too impressed by that but i love that touch I actually where remembered that moment yeah where she pulls out a knife she's about to face off with batgirl we've never seen her fight she just used a vine as a whip a bunch but she pulled a knife out of nowhere and like holds it up and then like checks her makeup and her hair in the knife i thought that was a really fun touch i thought that it was in this movie, with this performance, a nice moment. Yes, it was a nice moment. And I think that's the kind of stuff that Uma Thurman probably brought to the table. Yeah, I think there's those are the cool kind of like little little nuggets, yeah. little cookies, if you will, yeah. um, I, that an actor brings that are, that are fun. And, and the finale at the Gotham Observatory... I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's a huge mess. It's, it's not exciting. It's not fun. It's just basically... Various characters falling great distances. 
A lot of falling. A lot of grappling hooks. A lot of falling. Uh, they defeat Bane pretty easily. Barbara, who... How they had a separate ice costume ready for her with the cowl and a bat bike for her and all that stuff, we'll never know. How he actually had any of that stuff prepared for ice... stuff was just ready and under... However many minutes. I know. They had, from the time that they froze the city, they had not yet arrived at the Turkish Turkish baths to defeat Poison Ivy. So they beat her, went home, got in new outfits, invented or already just pulled out all these new vehicles, probably in about two and a half minutes. Because I think that when yeah. they're driving down the street, they're like, we have eight minutes to save Gotham or whatever. Yeah. And so, but yeah, the very weird compressed time. In, yeah. in the end. And like you said, particularly for her, because they didn't even know she was Batgirl until no. she showed up. Yeah. Unless Alfred was just like, you know what? I went ahead and sewed you 8,000 suits just in case. Yeah. I know diff- Batman really loves his costume changes. He, he does love his costume changes because he had one at the end of Batman Forever where he went into like the sonar outfit or whatever. Oh, yeah. For no reason. It was just an excuse to make a new toy. But yeah, they, get, they have new costumes for everybody. He somehow, I guess, knew that she was a motorcycle chick. So he, and we haven't even gotten into the motorcycle scene and Coolio being in it or any of that stuff, which I actually said to Sebastian, I, I thought that was cool because at least for once they're in actual locations. Yeah. I remember watching the movie at the time being like, this is kind of lame because I'd rather be watching Batman fighting and, or Batman on a motorcycle racing around or something. Yeah. But now watching it tonight, I was, I was saying to myself like, this is actually pretty cool and it's tactile and it's. And well, it's, it's still fun. Would have been cool to see Batman in that location. I mean, for sure. And I really wish, like, because we literally spend our entire time up in the clouds. Like, all the design of the city is kind of, again, like the Batman the Animated Series, where highways are, you know, like 50 stories in, in the air for some reason. And they're built all around these giant monolithic statues. And it's just an insane design for the town, which I do, I mean, I won't, I won't deny it. I think it's cool. Super cool. Yeah. But I really, once we got down to that bottom grimy area and it's an actual location and it's all these different biker gangs with different gimmicks like there's a clockwork (laughs) orange there's one that i said looked like they were doing a bowser from mario cosplay and they have like a little kid um there's the red hairs there's the coolios like you can't show up here unless you have a theme yeah this is the theme barker game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're just a, there are some generic bikers though. So even if you're just a generic biker dude, that Maybe is your theme. Maybe they're like prospects. Like they're just like waiting to join. Oh yeah, cool... yeah, yeah. They're gonna be pulled from this pool of people and assigned a weird outfit. Yeah. Um, weird thing is the Clockwork Orangers did not have a combatant in the bicycle race. <laughs> not bicycle race, <laughs> but motorcycle race. But whatever. I'm just saying that that was a cool moment. Um, had a weird ending because why did the race go to this? busted out bridge and why did they slide like 200 feet even though the bridge is just a flat surface and it's shot like on an angle so it's like you think like oh maybe this is dipping down and that's why they're still going it's gravity but it's not yeah it's, it's not it's just this flat yeah. bridge. and even though they're on the ground they're clearly like on the bottom of gotham to start they still end up like 50 stories in the in the air on this broken bridge but i was saying to sebastian as we were coming into that scene and seeing all these wacky gangs like how much i would have loved to have seen batman living in that world instead of constantly being on these high rises and in the clouds and fighting up in the sky it's kind of you know he's not a in this movie he's definitely not a man of the people like he was in the first one where yeah. he's stopping muggers like the only crime he is after is mr freeze and poison ivy from jump 
And he deals a lot more with like the one percent in this movie. Exactly. He's just trying to help out. I mean, obviously at the end he's he unfreezes all of Gotham, or he with the help of uh, Bat, uh, Robin and Batgirl unfreeze Gotham. But yeah, it just never feels like Batman is somebody who's looking out for anybody other than his his himself and his own people. Even the two scientists at the end, like I pointed out, like he had like four different chances to save the scientists that are hanging on to the telescope that was turned into a laser beam or whatever was going <laughs> right. on there right like, again a five-year-old just man and the telescope is a laser beam <laughs> but they were like dangling off the side of that while they she sure was were. doing five different things and then they tumble almost to their they I mean they would be dead but they tumble as that telescope drops they tumble through the wall they're still hanging on and batman obviously saves them at the end but it's like barely he could have done that so long ago yeah he could have helped him out but maybe had he helped him out they would have gotten blown up by the bombs so probably a good thing that they that he held off i'm glad their finger strength was so good <laughs> their grip strength they've been they've been have not missed hand day at the gym <laughs> i don't know do you have a hand day at the gym uh that's none of your business oh boy uh so but anyway yeah sure it does fall apart a little bit at the end but i think by the end of it we still get that shot of bobblehead batman Running against the bat signal, which I loved that from the Batman Forever. Yeah, that and cool. we got the the three characters coming. They're gonna need a bigger cave. They're gonna be a team now. There was something awesome and exciting about that, even though the movie that preceded it was kind of all over the place. I think that the fact that we had a Batgirl now, we have a Robin, we have bat, we have a full Bat family for the first time in these mm-hmm. movies. It was just really exciting, and I love the theme song at the end, which is different from your regular one from uh from the danny elfman movies or, or the tim burton movies rather and you know there was something exciting about that i was looking forward to the future in fact i was looking forward to the future so much the night that i got home from watching batman and robin in the theaters i wrote a screenplay or my very first screenplay i only got through maybe the first act it was called batman the darkest night and it was the sequel to batman and robin and that's kind of good where... Title. Good title. Thanks, thanks. And it was Darkest, not K-Night. It was not with a K. It was Night, like oh. N-I-G-H-D. Oh. But that's what I was going to kind of... a good title. Thanks, man. But I was going to get around to that. In conclusion, I think Batman and Robin is something that... And this is speaking purely from a personal place. This movie caused me to create mm. a lot. I wrote my first screenplay. Well, my first act of my first screenplay... Uh, I wrote, uh, I think I talked about in our, our introductory episode, Attack of the Heist and Robin, which was a series of movies that we did, and I wrote a script for that too, which is the first times I'd ever actually like put words down for any movie that I was shooting. I made a Robin costume like that one wow. for that movie. Oh, well, I, you're a huge Nightwing fan too. That's I am a huge Nightwing fan. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to that. I loved, I loved the way Robin looked in this movie. I'm a big Nightwing fan. I was upset that the symbol was red and not blue. But I think had it been blue, you know, Freeze was in it, so you can't yeah. really you would associate that with that color with him. It's silver at the end. It is silver at the end, which is a little bit closer. But also his mask was silver, and I did not like that as much. And I think in the comic book, I'm I'm not as big a, a Nightwing aficionado as you are, but he does have a red outfit at one point. Yeah, like he, he does. They, that, they sort of incorporated that a little bit later, kind of like in the New 52. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know if they did it before, but yeah, they definitely did it when they rebooted the universe and they kind of gave him the red outfit. And I don't know if that's a response to Batman and Robin or if they just thought it looked better in print. I don't know. Interesting. Or for made, made for better toys. I know the blue is the classic sort of. Yeah, blue is the one that, when I think of Nightwing, I think of that. No cape, uh, the two sticks 
that are yeah. electri- electrified. Um, but yeah, so it made me, I made the costume, I made movies, I wrote movies. I um, We even made like a parody version of it where we had a giant stuffed Easter bunny where we had like, this sounds so lame. I had like no friends in high school. So it's like me and my best friend and my cousin made a movie where we took stuffed animals and basically made, recreated the opening scene of this. But it was an Easter bunny, so we did... Uh, Wait, the opening scene of this movie? So, like, yeah, so like the, the bat butt? The, yeah, we did the bat butt. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had it. I, I don't have it saved, sadly, on any anywhere, but otherwise I'd probably post it. Whatever. But uh, we had, like, the sliding down the brontosaurus and everything. Um, again, all stuffed animals. And we had an Easter bunny, and he would make egg puns. So it was like, sorry to crack the party. Like, instead of Mr. Freeze. And, exactly. And he was like, I hope you wore your Easter Sunday finest... And he had, I think he flew, like, instead of a rocket, he had a, a giant Easter bonnet that he flew in. And <laughs> I thought you were going to say a giant Easter egg, but no. No, 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 a bonnet, because we had to vary it up a little bit. Most of our puns were, like, excellent, like, were egg puns. Right. So we had to, like, you know, mix it up a little bit. But <laughs> Sure. Uh, but no, but, but the point being, this movie, like, made me create, it inspired me in a way. Like, I think, <laughs> probably inspired me in a negative way at the time, because I think this is the first time I saw a movie where I said I could do better, which I... I don't often have that feeling, but it was like, well, shit. I mean, if they did this and they had $125 million, what could I do, (laughs) you know, in South Georgia and I'm 15 years old, what can I do? Let me, let me try to create something and let me try to aspire for more than this. And over the years, again, I've revisited this film and tried to kind of explore it and find out like what is so mystifying about it. What I mean, like, cause people hate it, but by God, there's like hundreds of reviews on it, on, on, of it on Amazon and hundreds of reviews on iTunes, and people want to talk about this movie. People yeah. have not forgotten this movie. This movie should have been just a blip on the radar, especially from like a movie that's you know over twenty years old now. Jeez. It should, yeah, it should have been forgotten about, but it's not, and that there's got to be a reason for that. Yeah, and I think it's because here's why it's great. This movie's <laughs> fucking great. I think that's the thing. It's this movie is great. It's got a lot of neat stuff. It's got an energy all to itself. It's got a vibe all to itself. And no, does it work as a story? Does it work as like a film? Not exactly. But there's just something about it that is alluring, that's appealing, and that, my friend, is why it's great. I mean, that's a... You're speechless. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think honestly, like enough to get me over to thinking it's great is what you were saying about it inspiring you. I mean, anything that inspires somebody to be creative and, you know, particularly you, since we're partners in so many things, like if that's what inspired you was this movie to make more stuff, then honestly, that's enough for me to think that it's great. But I think beyond that, I do sometimes look at stuff as in a more, I don't know, highfalutin is a dumb word, but just a more looking down my nose at stuff maybe that's not a film you know, particularly it, having studied film or having, you know, been involved in acting or whatever, I think a lot of us can bring this sort of like very critical eye to things. And again, if it's something that we didn't expect or it wasn't what we wanted it to be, but judging it on its own merits and just allowing it to be a cartoon or allowing it to be just something that is very silly. And as you said, like a five-year-old putting a movie together and being entrusted with $125 yeah. million, like... I think if I step back and am not a critic and I'm just like, oh, here's a movie and just look at it through a child's eyes or look at it through non-judgmental eyes. Or childish 37-year-old's eyes. Sure, sure. <laughs> then, then it is like, oh, okay. You know, it's, it's, 
it is like a cartoon come to life. I mean, you even referenced Batman the Animated Series several times, and clearly they took a lot from that and just made it live action. Yeah. And I, one thing I cannot, and this isn't making an excuse for the movie at all, like, I think visually it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I really honestly. Yeah, there's no denying that, that, no taking away from that. And, you know, it's not my favorite one, but I certainly can see the merits of it and that it is just like, a movie you're supposed to just see and have fun and be like, oh, it's a superhero movie, a comic movie. I would 100%, given every live-action Batman movie, including the Chris Nolans, I would absolutely watch this one before watching The Night, Night Rises. Wow. That movie bores me to tears. I, it is not fun. It is a dreary affair. It is overly long. We don't get any, really, any cool Batman stuff in it. Mm-hmm. He's only in it for a few minutes anyway, and when he is in it, he's mostly just flying around in a big machine. So sure. we don't get a lot of cool Batman stuff. Bane is neat in that movie, but he's also, I can't not hear that voice and giggle. Sure. And I mean, that's like, you know, it's hard to watch Borat anymore because people have done impressions of it for so long. But but yeah, this is a movie that Joel Schumacher has gone on official record apologizing for. On the DVD, if you watch the special features, he looks right at the camera and says, if I uh, misled anyone or if anyone didn't enjoy it, I apologize. And I don't feel like he should do that. I feel like... Your vision is your vision. That was his vision, good or bad, whether people wanted it or not. I mean, expectation versus reality is probably the main reason people don't shine on this movie. But mm. no need to apologize, Joel. <laughs> I appreciate it. I hope Sebastian appreciates it. I appreciate anybody that makes something that puts their heart and soul into it. And clearly he did. You know, I mean, it maybe wasn't, as you said, wasn't what I wanted, wasn't what I expected. But I don't feel like I am owed any apology. Well, the question now is, dear friends out there, what did you think of it? Did you appreciate it? Or do you think that I'm totally wrong and should shut my mouth? And <laughs> Schumacher your mouth. <laughs> I should Schumacher my mouth. Let us know. How are you going to let us know? You can email us. We've got an email, hwigpodcast at gmail.com or... hwigpodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Oh yeah, just uh, add us. At me, folks. At me, folks. Uh, let us know. into my DMs. <laughs> let us know what you think about Batman and Robin. Let us know what you think about us. And let us know what you hate. Because you know what? If we can climb this mountain that was Batman and Robin, by God, we can do just about anything. Yeah. And that's another reason yeah. why Batman and Robin is great. It's given us the confidence to take on any other thing that people hate. I know. Bring it, guys. Bring it. You want Troll 2? You want The Room? We got this now. We've done Batman and Robin, son. So please let us know what you think and let us know what you hate so we can tell you why it's great. Until then, I'm John Bring. And I'm Sebastian Kavitsch. And here's why it's great. shall rule them for we will be the only two people left in the world yes adam and evil